everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. Today, we have Mr. Michael Foster. Uh, he is the author of the book, It's Good to Be a Man, a Handbook for Godly Masculinity. Before we jump in, I'd like to welcome our new sponsor and uh, just do a quick promo for them. Joel Olstein Teeth Whitening Kit. Well, I have a dirty soul and dirty teeth when you can have clean teeth. So we appreciate Joel Olstein supporting this podcast today. Michael Foster, uh, thank you for being on. And uh, you are a pastor and also an author. And your new book, I think, has done pretty well. I kind of heard about it through word of mouth. So that's usually a pretty good sign. Uh, the book, what I, what I appreciate is, and I'm, I'm kind of curious because most books on manhood tend to very quickly veer off into stereotypes of you, you got to be just be big, tough guy, right? Be like, you like football, drink beer, grow beard, smoke cigar, drink whiskey. Right. Um, and that's why I usually avoid books on biblical manhood, because if you've read one, you've read all of them. How is your approach a little bit different than that? Um, well, I, I think we talked about what manhood actually is and not just, uh, the sociological or like uh, trappings, right. Of kind of what you're describing the idea of being a man's like having a, a long beard, certainly having a beard is manly. Women usually don't have beards um, <laughs> and wanting to be strong. We have more muscle than women do. We have a lower body fat percentage naturally. So those are all things that are part of um, our design but it doesn't get to the essence of it. And what we wanted to do was lay out what it meant to be a man, not what it meant to be a husband or even a father, but what, according to scripture, is at the heart of, of manhood. And so we also wanted to set it, um, frame it for people that are dealing with our culture right now, with the way our culture looks at masculinity, which is negative, right? They treat it as something toxic, something that you should be ashamed of. And right from the beginning of scripture, we're told both manhood and womanhood is part of God's good design. So, so funny when you say things like it's good to be a man, a lot of times we think of all things sexuality as a zero sum game. So to say it's good to be a man would mean it's bad to be a woman, right? But right. that's not what scripture teaches. It, it teaches that manhood, maleness is good, female, um,ness is good as well. So we wanted to write a book about why it's good to be what God made you. And, uh, and at the same time, uh, deal with some of the attacks that have happened recently that are actually rooted in patterns that you see in scripture and throughout history. So I think, I think that's why it's a little bit different. I think we're kind of early to interacting with what's called the red pill, which is just kind of an online movement of guys who are pro mask pro-masculinity, but also anti-feminist. So it's not just mm -hmm. a manhood sort of movement, but it's a manhood movement that was created uh, with, with the idea of responding to the feministic cr critiques that's being thrown at men. So we're, I think, dealing with those authors from a Christian standpoint a little early. Obviously, there's guys like Jordan Peterson. He's kind of like, He's kind of the intro into that world. He doesn't, a lot of those guys wouldn't say that he fits in there, but, um, yeah. but there, there's just a lot of secular guys talking about masculinity on YouTube and, and Twitter and, and Reddit and some other places. And since there wasn't uh, much out there in the Christian world dealing with it from a modern perspective, 
uh, a lot of young Christian men were going to these influencers and, and teachers. And these guys were, they run the whole spectrum. Some of them are just charlatans. Some of them are hedonistic creeps. And then some of them are kind of like, you know, an old uncle just trying to give you advice, be helpful. Right. And, but uh, all of them uh, were working from a non-Christian worldview. And so there was a lot of bad stuff with it. So we thought we would interact with the ideas uh, and see why are young Christian men coming here. So our book uh, was what we put in our um, forward or preface that we weren't trying to write a timeless book. We we're just trying to write a timely book, a book that was responding to what's going on right now. So I think that made it a little bit different. And it is... It's uh, it's not just kind of like some of the dime store advice for manhood. It's it's very theologically driven. When um, we had our men's small group this last week, I, I had a water bottle on the table, and I just asked them the question, "What makes this a good water bottle?" Mm-hmm. And the the answer that they all kind of came up with is, "Well, it holds water, yeah. and it's good because it does what it's supposed to do." Right. And that's, that was just the easiest definition. And so then the next question was, what makes a good man? What is it that man is supposed to do in, in your view? I have three boys. So this question is, is really important to me. Like, what is it a man theologically speaking is supposed to do so that I know that if I'm a good man or not? Well, uh, so the, we work from the creation mandate pretty heavily in our book. And so that's, we, we see the purpose of manhood right away from Genesis one twenty eight that God made them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with lots of other people because they are the image of God. They are the glory of God and uh, to subdue, right. To, to reign over the earth. And, uh, and again, to do it for the glory of God. So we've been given this goal of filling the planet with, folks that glorify God. And that's, that's the same thing that you see in the um, great commission, right? The great commission mm-hmm. is the creation mandate for a fallen world. Same thing to, to go make disciples of all the nations, right? And that they would, they would do and obey God. So the, the number one thing that everyone's supposed to do is to enjoy uh, or to give God glory and enjoy him forever. Right. And, yeah. but that works its way out kind of practically through our stations and vocations. And you see that, that, um, God plants a garden. So he makes this garden and then he puts uh, Adam into it. And then he gives him that creation mandate. So he gave him kind of a prototypical, like go refine the world, go cultivate the world. Here's the garden I've made. And it's referred to as a, like a temple. It has like temple like mm-hmm. nature to it, the garden of Eden. And it's on a mountain. And I was just thinking about this today. I'm, I'm writing a, a second book right now. But basically, you have Adam up there on top of this mountain looking over just this pristine, beautiful new creation. And God telling him, go go rule over this. Go make it beautiful, right? Go fill the world with people. And, uh, and then we've come down from that mountain to our couches these days. And no one's calling men to have a holy ambition at all. And so mankind, both man and woman, were given this creation mandate to... To do it, and they do it um, through marriage is one of the main ways. How, how do you be fruitful and multiply without without marriage and sex and marriage? And so uh, we think that's the creation of a household. Like God's not trying to just have children, but children need a mom and dad. They they need a home to grow up in. The household itself is its own culture. So like men push back the um, 
what men do is they build something and then women fill it with beautiful things, right? Just like God mm. um, shapes the earth and then, and then fills it. Well, guys push back um, the boundaries, increase the boundaries, and then the women make beautiful things. You'll get Proverbs 31. That's really what you have. You have this husband that's been able to supply his wife with all these resources. She takes these resources and she's very um, industrious. She, she expands. So man, um, man and woman work together to create this household. And we know that a household in scripture is not just um, uh, the relational aspect, but it's the property, it's the legacy, it's everything in scripture. A household is um, everything your family represents and means and owes and shares together. And so we see the call uh, from God in the creation mandate is to, uh, to create households and fill the world with culture through the creation of households. You know, the way you get society is a bunch of families live in the same area and they have to establish law and property and boundaries and work things out. And, and so from the creation of a household, you get a series of households that make societies and nations. And so that's what God's called us to do. And that's the, that's the glory of our work. It's a big work. And um, men and women have their own uh, places in it. They overlap. But I think in scripture, you see a special emphasis on men being wise, strong, and workmen or craftsmen. So there's a, uh, you look at Proverbs, Proverbs is written to a man, to a son. Like he says, give you, give me your heart, my son, like 14 times in the first couple of chapters. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the end of it, right, it ends with advice from his mother again to a son. And so you can kind of look at what's emphasized in Proverbs and get an idea of what uh, a man's called to be, which is wise, diligent, um, and use the, the, the ability and strength God's given them for God's glory. So I think what men need is to know that God's called them to be part of something big in their own little area, but it's a big thing that we're doing. It's a glorious thing. There's an aspect of controlling the chaos that you mentioned and and talking about the home is like a microcosm of everything else. You know, the homes make up a city, the city make up a state, the state makes up the country. And so if we are frustrated at the state of our country, then there is a sense where we need to take personal ownership of our job because it's just really a reflection of the home. And as pastors, if we haven't cultivated good godly homes, then we're not going to have a good godly state that we live in. And right. instead of shifting blame to the culture, the culture, the culture, it's, it's a way, it's a manly thing to do to take ownership and responsibility of the state of the affairs that we find ourselves in. I, I just got to mention this real quick. Cause I find it kind of funny. I, my, with my boys, um, we're big superhero fans. And so there was a new like uh, Marvel app for the phone, a little game. Mm -hmm. And we downloaded it. And I was like, if I'm going to play a game, uh, I want to be really good at it. So I went to YouTube and I was looking at like strategies and tips. And what I found, uh, and it was quite amusing is there like most of the people offering tips weren't kids playing the game. It's grown men that sit at their computer all day playing children's card games. Uh, and there was one guy, I mean, he had the whole setup in his house, headphones on and in the middle of a live stream, his wife comes over and she's like yelling at him 
and he you could he mutes it but you could see his face like you know trying to tell her how important what he is doing is and she doesn't see the importance in it but for him he's found his his fake dominion this is the place where he has ownership and he is battling and conquering so he's like uh it's the podcast so i can use this phrase that i wouldn't use normally at church but it's like spiritual masturbation right like it makes him feel good but it doesn't accomplish anything uh do you see just in our culture this temptation for pseudo dominion fake dominion yeah yeah i mean it's gonna water finds its level and what i always tell people is the danger of video games is not that they're effeminate but they're they're masculine right that Mm -hmm. they appeal to masculine drives that's why most the the majority of like first person shooters and those sort of things are, are men. Well, women are playing games way more than they used to, but the initial appeal was primarily male. Men want to conquer. Men want to learn skills, and they want to work with the team. And so if you if you kick your kid out of the house, say go out and play go play football with the neighborhood kids. Well, they're they're not playing football, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're playing video games. And, uh, and so um, he wants to be with a gang of men with a bunch of guys that are on a mission together, conquering something. And, uh, and so the danger of it is that it appeals to skill building. It appeals to kind of building your, uh, the pack you run with. Right. And, um, and it is about excellence. Like you think of that guy's room, you described this guy's all in men, men go all in on missions. We are, we'll die for the glory of our mission. It's not because we're disposable, but because our legacy and mission matters to us more than anything. And he's out there teaching too. He's out there teaching these guys how to win at this game. You see that men want to pass on what they have, right? They do. And so when you look at these things, I see masculinity diverted from a greater purpose. Um, Obviously I'm fine with recreation. I was playing um, Halo Infinite with one of my sons a couple weeks ago. I got my... I think we, we tied one game, won one game, and lost one game. And I, I was like, I'll play. And then it had been 40 minutes. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I got other things to do. But I, I think they have their place, and it's fine. But the thing is that they're dangerous when we're not calling young men to be excellent for the glory of God, to, to take their health serious and to take their finances and studies and, and to build things. And we... We look at a society that's uh, that's in decay and corruption right now in, in the West. And it is because as men go, so goes the household. As households go, so goes the society. And I think um, I, I don't listen to the news almost at all. I don't really care about what's happening in other countries. Um, and I don't really care what's happening at a federal level. Once, once upon a time, I did. Um, but then I started to realize, like, ah, this is just getting me winded. I'm like, I'm talking about things I have no control over. And then I became way more hyper-local focused and, 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 mm-hmm. and focused on uh, controlling the controllables. And I think if we want to change a lot of the stuff we see, we, we need to invest in men again. And men are hungry. They're going looking for this stuff. The explosion of Jordan Peterson onto the scene shows that there was a mass appeal. They're looking for a father. They're looking for someone. They're looking for a guide to guide them into a better way. Problem is 
is a lot of older folks, they'll look at video games and, and think that it's just, they're being, they're being unmasculine. They're being lazy. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't lazy when it comes to video games. They'll play for 15 mm-hmm. hours. They'll go on YouTube and study everything. They'll practice over and over and over again. They'll strategize. They'll call up their friends. They'll talk about it. I mean, they will throw. And because that's exciting. It's very exciting. And I think we're not giving them a picture of what's possible. Now there's dopamine and all this stuff. These video games today are designed by people who um, know how to make slot machines. They're certainly trying to hack mm-hmm. our neurology to, to get us addicted. Yeah. That's They want us in-app, in-game as much as possible because that's how they make money and keep stay relevant. So there's that aspect. But I, my point is that I think we're not giving people the grand. Think of what God told Adam, the first man, conquer the world. That's what he said. Yeah. Go conquer the world. Fill it with people. I mean, that is quite the charge. That is a big call. And, um, and it starts, though, with cleaning your room. It starts by conquer your room, conquer your living room. You know, now conquer the yard. Go get a job, son. Save $1,000. Save $10,000. What do you want to do? What do you want to build? How are you going to lead this? Or do you want to own your own business? Do you want, you know, start pushing them to see this. And I think those things are treated as if they're somehow unspiritual, as if there's like this super divide against spiritual activity and physical activity and vocational activity. It's, it's, it's really wild. We've kind of fallen into a Gnostic time. So Gnosticism, this devaluing matter and physical things. And acting as if there is pure spiritual activity, but we are physical beings. We have spirit and body, we're spirit, body composite. There is no truly, for us, spiritual activity. We read the Bible, we read it with our eyes, we hold the Bible with our hands, we listen to the Bible, we listen to it with our ears. If we pray, we think those thoughts. Now our mind is distinct from our brain, but our brain is involved in the act of prayer. We're physical beings and teaching people to use their body to shape the world, is, is huge. And part of the thing I don't like about video games is it turns a person inward. Uh, they start living in their own head and they live in these digital realms that don't impact the real world. People will say, well, it teaches you logical inference, teaches you thinking strategy. All those things are true. And uh, I'm not saying that you aren't like benefits from that, but all right, you say it's teaching all that. What are you doing in the real world with it? Right, you're learning all these mm-hmm. this ability to think and all these skills. Like, all right, show me. You've been you're telling me video games is a gym for the mind. Well, what are you working on in the real world? Let's see. And they're not. And so what we have to do is we have to recapture their imagination. And and scripture does that. Scripture is powerful. What God has to offer us is amazing. One of uh the things that I really enjoyed, which I we kind of know intuitively if you do much counseling as a pastor. Um, when the wife comes in and she's a nervous, anxious wreck, right? Like she's always stressed out. She's, she's working two jobs. She's, she's got all of this commotion going on and the guy is kind of checked out. Her anxiety comes from the lack of ordering in the home. Absolutely. And I, I was talking with a guy the other day and I used this line and I think it's from your book, which I had never thought about. We always know, yes, God made us stronger. God made our bones denser. You know, we're, we're designed for battle. We're a good blunt shield. Um, but our voices being lower than our wives. 
And that really struck a chord with me because my wife, she'll say, I've told those kids seven times not to do that. I go, well, let me do it once. And then you throw the dad voice out there and the kids freeze, right? And, and then they're like, oh, okay, yeah. And it's because my voice is designed to have an authoritative essence about it to control the chaos in my home. And my kids instinctively know that, like it is hardwired within them. And so when a dad, uh, a husband isn't controlling the chaos in his family, the woman hates a void. She'll fill that void and she mm -hmm. will do her best to control the chaos, but it, it damages her. She can do a great job at it, but it doesn't, um, it's not good for her in the long run. Yeah. Like it taxes her in a way that it might not tax me. Uh, so I find that really fascinating. This a whole good idea metaphor of for that. The chaos. A good metaphor for the difference between men and women is, is you can think of a woman as a wine goblet and a man as a coffee cup. If you put a wine goblet on the bottom of your floorboard of your car, it's going to break, you know, where the coffee cup will just roll around. It might get a couple little chinks in it or whatever. They're both cups. They're both great at what they do and they both have a purpose. And, um, we are meant we are stronger and meant to deal with that sort of brute forceness. Like if you think about women in combat, part of the problem with women in combat is that their emotive and logical faculties are so closely uh, intertwined that they experience the brutality of it in a way that a man doesn't, right? They, they emotionally experience it. And so that's a great ability to have when you're nurturing children and building a home atmosphere that, that your ability to think and feel so closely tied together. It's very helpful. It's terrible in war though. It's like, cause yeah. men, we uh, will see our friends die. And, and if we are kind of healthy, we'll actually be able to keep fighting. Now, this is the reason that men struggle so much with PTSD after war is that we do eventually have to deal with it. Right. But the delayed nature of it allows us to do tough things. And men and women are just wired differently. And you, and when you think through it through the grid of what God gave Adam and Eve to do, Eve was Adam was put in the garden to work the garden to shape it, and Eve was uh, brought to the man, made from the man, made to help the man. Right? Um, when you see, you look at that general orientation direction, it makes a lot of sense. Women are like women's linguistic abilities tend to outpace men for a very long time. Little girls talk sooner than boys. Um, when you look at the, we look at the dangers of sin in scripture, you see women repeatedly um, warned about gossip. Well, that's because their ability to build through words can be twisted by sin to destroy through words. You see men told not to be full of wrath, right? And to always uh, hold, hold their, hands up in prayer. You see that in first Timothy chapter two. And that's because our testosterone, our aggression, which is good in dealing with difficult circumstances can be turned to evil, to an evil purpose. And I think another thing that we focused on our book that I don't hear people talk about very often is that desire, natural desires are, are good when they're ordered according to God's word and God's purpose. And so we treat things like a sex desire you know, sex drive as if it's evil in itself. Like, where do you think that came from? Like I tweeted out on Twitter the other day that the, the churches don't address the big three 
that men are used that the big three topics that men are marketed to uh, that they get them to buy things is uh, basically money, sex and fitness. And people's response was, oh, so greed, um, lust and vanity. Well, come again. Wait a second. Yes, it can be those things. Um, but sex is the creation of, it's a tightening, it's a reconfirmation of a marriage covenant and it's the mecha mechanism by which souls and bodies are made. It's amazing, right? It's an expression of covenantal love. It doesn't have to be lust. Do I desire my wife? Yeah. Is it lust? No, it's powerful, but lust is desire aimed wrongly. Um, it's erotic, no doubt. Uh, money, could money be used for greed? Absolutely. But it's the love of money that's a sin. Uh, the ability to have, I know people that are very rich. I knew them when they, before they were rich, and now I know them afterwards. And they are godly people. And all it's done is magnified through generosity. Um, health, yeah. health could be vanity, but this, our bodies, you know, are how we do our work, how we get things done. So there's this general animosity towards the physical and towards things like desires. And we've lost that. And yes, desires can be turned towards evil things. And the more, the more powerful the desire, the more uh, potential it has for good and for evil. And, but we want to know guys like, yeah, you, the fact that you want to have sex is good. It's good. And guys, sexual desires like 10 times that of women because of our higher testosterone. And even when women are at the top of their cycle where there's a blast of testosterone that makes them uh, definitely more interested in it at uh, that time of the month than guys. Uh, but the guys still are like exponentially more. Well, why? Well, God told us to be fruitful and multiply. So you don't yeah. want to have sex with lots of women. You want to have lots of sex with one woman that you're married to and have babies and raise those babies to love Jesus and be whatever God made them to be. And, um, and so we wanted to kind of redeem desire and say, no, desires are, if they're natural, there's such thing as unnatural desires, but natural desires just need to be reordered by the Holy Spirit, according to the word of God, for the glory of God. Yeah, we just had to kick all the kids out of our Sunday morning worship a couple of weeks ago because I said, hey, is, this is PG-13, you know. Um, yeah. And we just talked about how good sex is. Yeah. That th this is good in men and women and male and female. And the culture will talk about it all day long. And the church will maybe whisper about it, if even that. And so uh, that's a good thing. We work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. And so when it comes up, cool. we have to deal with it. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to have to talk about the role of men and women. We're in Colossians and chapter three. Next week is men and women roles. And so we have to deal with it. And I think that's very beneficial. You were talking about testosterone. Yes. And this is one of the questions that I had for you is because the psychological, can we reverse the psychological uh, framework that has been put out there on men? Yes, we can. Uh, the social aspect of it, can we reverse that? Yes, we can. But the recent studies are showing that boys today have much lower testosterone than even when I was a kid and that the average the grip strength of an average male now is about the same as a woman what 50 years ago something like uh, that something like that yeah so the boys now are almost as strong as a woman <laughs> 50 years ago yeah uh how do we reverse the biological well it's kind of interesting what's causing it there's a lot of different things um basically we have uh, we literally have lots of soy 
and our meats um, and things. Um, that's part of it. Uh, birth control uh, pills, it's really hard to filter out the uh, some of the estrogen out of the water supply. So after it passes through a woman's urination, it gets into our water treatment um, centers. We can't get it. One reason we know that's happening is that the, uh, if you treat a lot of fish and some amphibians with um, estrogen, you can actually change their sex. Um, and that's happening and destroying entire ecosystems. So what a fascinating connection, think about this for a moment, is that us embracing barrenness through birth control actually leads to a barren creation. That's how tied we are to the creation. And so, and I'm not saying that every form of contraceptive is wrong. Don't, don't, don't hear that. But my point is, is that there's how the rulers of the earth act affects the whole creation. It's, there's a, they're, they're intertwined, but that's getting into the water. It's actually softening our features is what a lot of the research says. Men have softer, rounder features, less angular. Um, so uh, some of it's from plastic. So our food supply is definitely, uh, there's a lot of environmental things going on. Um, so you have guys in their 20s that have like tea counts that are like three, 200 to 500, which should really be 800 to 1,000 at least, mm -hmm. um, which is, is not good because testosterone, not only does it allow you to retain muscle mass, but it actually gives you a lot of focus and drive. That's a, a big part of it. And so a few things that you can do to improve your testosterone, first off is drop body fat. Body fat actually can, especially stomach fat can produce estrogen. So you wanna get rid of that body fat. Um, you wanna improve the quality of your diet and stay away from those things that are high in that. But you also, um, heavy lifting does it. Increased, um, increased frequency of, of sex with the, your wife would, would actually help that. And so I, it's kind of funny, like uh, the things that drive your tea up are the things that people seem to discourage. You know, if you, hey, if you're working out, now you're just going to be a vain bodybuilder. Like I had a young man that told me the other day, I want to get in shape, but I don't want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I said, he was Mr. Olympian. You're not going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Don't, don't worry about it. It's all right. Okay. You're not going to look like him. It's like, look, I really want to get into like math, but I don't want to be Einstein. Uh, you're not going to, don't worry about it. Okay. Um, and, uh, but, but he's like, am I working out too much? So I was like, how much do you work out? He's like about two hours a day, six days a week. He's 14. I was like, no, that's fine. Do that. So once you, yeah. once you got a job and you're married and stuff, that's, that's stupid, but build up that muscle mass, man. You'll have that when you're in your, your 40s and 50s. You're not going to miss that. And that's going to be helpful for you. But it's so a lot of the, the we got to get people out in the world um, and, and being less lazy. You know, so the, the things that are destroying our health are pretty easy. We're eating too much sugar. We're eating too much. We're eating at weird times. We're not drinking enough water. I mean, most Americans are like drastically dehydrated. I know I am. Mm -hmm. And I've had to work really hard to get to a gallon of water a day. Gallon of coffee? Do it any day. Gallon of water? Yeah. It's crazy. You know, yeah. eight of these a day with, with my creatine and protein mixed in. Yeah. It makes a big difference, you know, and yeah. I've, uh, I've moved to a carnivore diet. Um, not I because that. I think How's that? Yeah. Probably How's 18, 20 pounds down. Feel good. Sleep better. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not even really, I just started working out again last week and this week I've moved to back to doing strong lifts. I've been lifting, 
And I, I played sports all through high school, so I've been lifting on and off for 15 years. And it's easy for me to hop in and rep 225 right now on the bench whenever I want, you know, like. So that's the, that's why I tell my son, it's like, look, I have not been working out the way I should the last year, but I worked out so much when I was young, I'm still really strong, you know, and that sticks with you. It's like you, you I told him getting in shape because I saw him the other, a couple months ago and I said, boy, you're getting fat. You're getting a little tubby. And, uh, and you say, dad, I'm tubby, but I'm also got a beautiful woman and had a bunch of kids and you don't have one yet. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be tubby before. Afterwards, we all have our seasons that we have to work through. But um, I said, look, I just, really, yeah, I just, you Go just ahead. have to take your, take your health seriously. And, and, and future yeah. Hudson is going to love that you did this. I'm so glad that I got in the gym and I was, in, I've been in the gym probably out of the last 20, let's see, how old am I now? 42, since I'm 15, probably the last 23 of those, at least 23 of those years, I've been in the gym three days a week, all 23 years. And, and so there's been some bad years, but now like it's, it's allowed me to, to stay more focused, to work long, hard hours. And I, and that's, I'm so glad I did that early on. I wish people would tell young men, get in there. Yeah. And also just gives you confidence. You know, I remember when I first yeah. broke, when I hit 385 on the bench, I never thought that would happen in a million years. I wanted to get to four, but I don't know, man. <laughs> I couldn't get past 385 was crazy enough, but you just, you, you're, you're always pushing yourself to that next obstacle. And I think that's what guys like guys like obstacles. They want something to conquer. Right. So this has been a, a really good year for me in the gym and I'm only like, I'm not even five, eight. So I, I'm a short guy and I watch my yep. kids out there playing soccer and basketball and people are like, which kid is yours is like the one you can't see. Cause he's shorter <laughs> than everybody else. But my middle son, uh, he just does push-ups all day, sit-ups. Nice. And then he goes and looks in the mirror and looks for abs. And I take him to the gym with me. I'm a, I'm, it's been a great year for me working out. I've hit it harder, more often than I had nice. in the past, but I've always been in, in shape. I've never been out of shape. And when they're just like, dad, why do you work out so much? And the thing that I tell them is well, someday you're going to be 18, 16, 17 years old. And you're, you're going to be as big, if not bigger than me. And if you have a, a, a temper or are abusive towards your mother, my job is to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm staying in shape so I can kick your butt when you're, yeah. when you're 18 years old and in your prime. Um, and that's, that's not the only reason, but I do want to role model for them. Sure. Yeah. Like, Hey, it, it's good to be physically fit. Uh, and squats, squats are one of the best or any kind of leg exercise increases yeah. testosterone. Yeah, man. So, well, it's just uh, big muscles, Working right? in that general area. Yeah. Uh, in, in your book, you talk about the church of feminine. And I remember uh, I grew up Southern Baptist and then I left the church and was a atheist for a while. Um, and one of the excuses I had used um, was I got tired of a frat fat preacher telling me to be more disciplined. Yeah. And in the Southern Baptist community, a fat old white guy is par for the course, right? Like, yeah. and then they're looking at you telling you, you need to stop these bad habits. I was like, man, you had four donuts before you got up there and preached and you're sweating, just getting up on the stage. <laughs> yeah. And so I think even like as a believer, just part of not being hypocritical is to take care of yourself and not Absolutely. being gluttonous, right? Yeah. You, no one, 
go find me a Baptist church that preaches on gluttony. and You'll find a diamond in a rough, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, but I what mean, other ways are the church effeminate? Well, so <clears throat> modern evangelicalism panders to middle age soccer moms. And they do that because they're the ones that buy the books. They're the ones. So one way we know this is Caleb's admitted it that Caleb came up with this um, person, the market, their marketing team to, to market and advertise to. And it was like, I forget that she had a fake name and all this, um, but it was more or less a woman in her forties. And, and you listen to the music and you're like, yeah, this, this is a sort of safe music that would appeal to a woman kind of sentimental or inspirational, victorious sort of stuff. Um, and so a lot of modern Christianity is, is tailored towards those women to the exclusion of men. And so when men come to church, they, um, they feel like they're visiting Hobby Lobby. Um, and they are, um, they are, they don't feel like they're in a masculine environment at all. The music's not very masculine. Um, a lot of the, you'll, you'll hear songs like Jesus hold me close. Right. And it's very, um, very comforting language, but it's, it certainly appeals more to women than onward Christian sol- soldiers would to men. Right. It's like, um, it's a men are, so our, our music is kind of gay. It's even that it's really high pitch. It's very hard for men to sing along. Uh, you listen to the old hymns or psalms or even sea shanties. Right? These are things that guys can sing along to, and they love those sort of songs. Mm-hmm. Mighty fortresses are God. That's a that's a wonderful song that kind of plays out that way. But uh, modern music is overly sentimental. It's uh, it's written in such a way that would definitely not appeal to men. Where yes, the church corporately is the bride of Christ, but we as individual Christians aren't. A woman as an individual is not married to Jesus. A man is not married to Jesus. It's a corporate covenantal nature. The church is the bride of Christ. And sometimes guys like Bernard of Clairvaux, going all the way back to the 12th century, did this whole bridal mysticism. And it got so integrated into the thought that it it was almost like we had an erotic, romantic relationship with Jesus. The guys don't like that. I don't like that. I don't want to be in a romantic relationship with with a man. Um, and so the, the brotherhood of Christ, that he's our, our elder brother, he's bringing us into the inheritance, the, the, the fact that the Lord is a warrior, um, th- those topics you don't hear too often. Also, men want to know what's the point, what are we doing? And uh, ch- churches, you know, where you see men in churches, actually, a lot of mega churches get a good deal of men. And I think the reason is, is mega churches are very much focused on building, right? Building numbers. Now they're not, they're not building them spiritually a lot of times, right? It's not like good discipleship, but they are trying to build and take over. And I think that that actually appeals to a man's nature. So a lot of churches are safety. It's all about encourage. There's not risk. We're not calling out abortion. We're not calling outside. I mean, we're not calling out a lot of things and guys just feel like, what's the point of this? Why am I here? And, um, and so I think, um, what we need is churches that, uh, have worship music 
that both sexes can be involved in. It's easier for a woman to follow a man in worship than it is for a man to follow a woman, just from the tenor of their voice, right? Um, Absolutely. And uh, it's uh, also, I, I think, a masculine preaching, risky preaching, preaching that goes there. Um, it might ruffle some feathers, but it'll encourage the men and men that are strong and engaged. Actually put a woman at ease and probably the best gift a man could ever give his wife is the loving discipline of her children, right? The loving spiritual discipline of her children. Like, especially as you age in life, you just want your kids to know the Lord and, and, and live a, a good godly life. And any, if we get engaged, the fathers and get them riled up about being the leaders in their home, the, the women, they'll, they'll follow. You get the men and the women and children will follow. The thing is, a lot of our pastors are effeminate pushovers. They um, they couldn't make it in the business world. They couldn't make it anywhere. Mm. They had to go to the church that will call being soft in your in your demeanor humble, right? Um, mm -hmm. Being uh, PR and your preaching winsome. They had to go somewhere where the ability just to have a lot of facts in your head is somehow treated as masculine mastery, right? And in the business world, uh, you, you actually have metrics. You have to perform. You have to deliver the goods. In the church world, a lot of times we don't have any metrics. And that's, that's kind of, it is hard to have any metrics as a pastor. Your church could grow because it's cancerous growth. It could shrink through blessed subtraction, right? So it's like really hard to as a pastor to judge those things. But so I think our pulpits are full of weak men that can't deliver anywhere else. And they recast their spiritual weakness as actually spiritual excellence. And so we have men, women, and then we have the third gender, which is the, the pastor, which is neither male nor female. It's an androgynous being. And that has been a <laughs> long time joke yeah. in the church yeah. for like five, six centuries, yeah. right? And, and so men, um, I, what I tell people is, look, I'm looking for a guy I would fall into battle and they'll say something stupid like, oh, like Conan the Barbarian. No, no, like Tom Hanks character in A Saving Private Ryan or Dick Winter in Band of Brothers. It's not, it's not about this like spitting tobacco, big muscly thing. I mean, that, that is something that means something, but it's more about that cool, calm, calculating, leadership, risk-taking, disciplined man that you respect. That's what those guys represent in both those movies. I mean, they, they are not pushovers, but they're not like, um, you know, this sort of stereotypical warrior trope. They're, they're masculine leaders. Our churches don't have men like that. And, and, and because what pastor inspires them? What young man goes and says, I want to be like that fat guy that sucks up to the women every Sunday. That's what I want to do with my life. No one says that. And so we're not getting high quality candidates in the ministry. The biggest problem facing the church right now is the massive dearth of high quality ministerial candidates. It is hard to find them. And, um, and that's, if we're going to, one reason we got to start building up the men in our church is that Lord willing, some of them, We'll step up and be elders at our church and leaders at our church, but you have to manage your own household well. 
and you look at First Timothy 3 and First Peter 5 and Titus chapter 1, you look at the qualities of an elder, and what are they? But the qualities of mature manhood, temperate, sober-minded, not pugnacious, God's con- got a control. You can't, you can't bait him into stupid arguments. Um, he's, he's got his whole house um, following his leadership. I mean, this, what guys should do is look at those and say, you know, you want to be a mature man, be those things, right? That's what you should be. And that's what our elders should be, but it's not. It's not. They, they went woke. They went crazy these last couple of years. People we thought would never, people that we thought were solid or at least kind of solid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's some guys like my goodness it's it's worse off than I thought and that's because they are the sort of men that go along to get along and that is a feminine attribute a masculine attribute is confrontation and conflict for the good of the family we're willing to say the things that's going to ruffle feathers not because we enjoy ruffling feathers but because it must be done for the good of the household. And until our church has been like that, we're going to continue to decline. One of our elders often says, he says, I don't like conflict, but I dislike even more what happens when there's not conflict. Conflict is the doorway to peace. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's some things in there that you said that I, that I appreciate because it took me a while to kind of find the good balance. When I was in high school, I was a gymnast, not the most masculine sport, according to everybody else, except for the male gymnasts who are like, we're tougher than all of those guys. Um, and I was really big into poetry, art, poetry, that stuff. That was, uh, my very first tattoo was just the word poet on my thigh, really big, (laughs) because that's where I identified. And I had a bunch of guys get in the car one day and I had a Buick saber where you could fit like nine of your closest yeah, friends in yeah. it. So big. And I said, guys, there's this, there's this new tape. You got to hear it. It's so good. It's Jim Morrison of the doors. And I put it in and it was his spoken word album. Hmm. And they were looking at me like I was a freak of nature. And that's when I, they started making, they're like, what are you gay? If you're a gymnast, you wear tights and you drive around listening to spoken word poetry. And they had made those things effeminate. And that, because I never thought of myself necessarily as effeminate, though I'm, um, I'm very aware of my feelings. I, I, I'm, sure. I'm good at expressing my feelings. But I also am covered in tattoos and like Harleys and like dangerous things. You know, that's why mm-hmm. before I was a Christian, drinking and driving as fast as I could was fun. That was like a hobby, an extremely stupid and dangerous one that could have really damaged a lot of stuff. But for me, it was just like I needed that danger. I, I enjoy skydiving. I'm like, just, just jump out of a plane. And what I find is even the church falls into either you look like this worldly version of masculinity mm-hmm. or we're going to question your very manhood. Yeah. But we don't do with that with David, who just sat down and wrote poetry all day long and then went and killed something, you know. And maybe in closing, speak to how we foster the whole man. Because if I'm not correct, knowing poetry used to be a masculine attribute and, and, and things along that line. Being able to communicate and woo was a masculine attribute. Now, all of a sudden, that's a feminine attribute. How do we capture the whole man? So we homeschool our kids and we do Charlotte Mason and uh, part of the 
the curriculum is they have to learn poems and my my more most kind of stereotypically masculine son was fighting me on on poetry he didn't want to learn poetry and uh and i, I had to go i had work to do and he was giving his mother trouble and we have a co-op at our house we got a bunch of other kids i can't have a maxim like this so come out with me come outside let's talk and i i tell him look you remember with that Aragon speech at the Black Gates, you know, um, I see in your eyes the very fear that would take the heart of me, you know, if day may come when we break all bonds of fellowship. That that whole talk he gives. And I said, and then you think of speeches you see with like Maximus and Gladiator or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I said, son, music, poetry, it moves and motivates people. Just like when you're listening to music, if you're playing Call of Duty or something while you do it. It gets your heart rate up. It gives you focus. It gets you going. It's like these guys that would play drums when we'd go into battle. Um, poetry is how you move people. It's how you engage people. And part of a job as a man is to be a leader. And you, there's logos, pathos, and ethos. And if you can't reach people in their emotions, um, then you're not going to be able to reach people. And I said, so you can think learning poetry makes you weak. But the people that learn it will just be stronger than you, be able to lead other people better than you. And he said, and I said, so look, go learn a couple of poems. Every man should be able to give a really good toast. Every man, I tell my sons, every man should be able to play a song on the piano. Don't let anyone know that you just break out one song. Like everyone should have like a really good joke on command. Everyone should, you should store those things up. Guys should be able to, in the moment, be able to get something done. I said, so go learn some poems. Someday you might have to move people to battle. You don't know, but it has utility. It has utility. It, it, it is, it, it engages people and you have to be able to reach people in their hearts as a, as someone that leads other people, just like I'm doing with you right now. Um, and so I think a lot of it is helping guys see um, what is the substance and not the form. So gymnasts are incredibly strong. I mean, you, the muscle, the muscle shape actually is you guys get those big round muscles. I don't know why it happens, but, um, but you know, you're the strength is next level. And I, I grew up with a lot of friends. I, I wrestled and guys would tease us about being in tights and all my friends watched the guys in tights. You know, I'm like, well, you watch the guys in tights. I pick up the other guys and slam them. So I don't know which one of us is gayer, but, um, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but what it's about is it's about, um, Discipline yourself, overcoming obstacles and all that, helping guys see that it takes immense concentration and skill to sit at a computer for eight hours and code all day. I mean, your fingers are creating something and that code will um, be the, the background of a website that sells things. It will be the creation of an app that helps people track their steps or plan things. Uh, coding is, is building, it's making, I think help people see what we're actually after and have this much broader view. So the problem is a lot of times we just don't understand the substance of things, right? We don't actually, that's, uh, that's the problem with cheap knowledge. Cheap knowledge is you basically are a mockingbird that is regurgitating something that's already been chewed for you. Right. These guys haven't done the hard work of reading a book and thinking through the actual theology behind it. 
And so I think helping guys capture that a man takes um, responsibility for himself so he can take responsibility for others. A man produces more than he consumes so he can be generous, so he can supply. Like that's like, that's key to manhood is that we have to bring home the bacon quite literally. And, uh, and so helping them see some of that, a man is a guy that's not ruled by his desires. He rules his desires. Um, so teaching these lessons and then helping them see how it plays out. I mean, like a lot of guys will brag about not sleeping, you know, and how I think you're bragging about running yourself into the ground and, and destroying yourself. Like I, I try to sleep eight hours a night, which is not easy because I wake up at five automatically. Um, so I got to go to bed really early and, uh, or push, go back to sleep. Like force myself to go back to sleep. That actually takes a lot of discipline to get eight hours because I'll just go, 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 go. And teaching these guys, like you actually have to rule yourself. Like what, what do I want to do? I want to get up and write, but I'm, it's going to, I'm going to pay the penalty for it down the road. So I have to actually get sleep. Um, so just teaching them these basic things. And, um, but also it's so funny where people say things like, well, weightlifting is not masculine moving big, heavy things to get as strong as possible is not masculine. What are you talking about? And I think we also just kind of got to call out the overcorrection too. You know, people tell you that, you know, they don't want you to, again, I don't want to, it's not like I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're not going to be. It's not like I, you know, want to turn into some black ops guy that's obsessed with guns. Like, that's probably going to ha- that could happen a little bit more than arms works there, but that's probably not going to happen either, man. And uh, look, these things uh, are masculine and they're good and you, and you pursue them in the right place, but God's giving you responsibility to take care of yourself so you can take care of others, right? He's given you authority to get things done for his glory and you need to do everything in your possibility that you can to, to live a life of excellence for the glory of God. That's what Paul says to live as Christ to die as gain, but if I could choose, it'd be better to go to heaven, but it's better that I stay here for you for your good. And that's that's the way we should look at our life. Like, let's live as long as we can for the good of the kingdom of God and those that God has entrusted us to uh, the most, our family. I don't remember who I heard it from. Uh, it was an illustration um, that the strongest medieval times, the strongest nights, would oftentimes be at the front of the line. And, and in movies, I always put like the idiots at the front yeah. to take all the arrows, but it was the strongest men because they needed to get as close as humanly possible in order for everybody else behind them to put up the ladders and get up there. So you would have your bravest and your strongest. And their only goal was to die as close as they could to the wall. So nice. they would die with their arms stretched out. And I'll tell the guys in our church, our job is to die as close as we can with our arms stretched out to the wall. So everybody behind us is just that much closer and doesn't have to cover that ground. They get to cover the ground safely because we are taking all the slings and arrows. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for your time. You have, uh, I'm sure you have another book coming out. It's good to be a woman, right? Is the next, (laughs) what's, uh, I have another book. Um, I'm writing a book with Dale Partridge right now that should be out in the new year. Okay, great. And so, um, thanks again for taking time to visit. I really have enjoyed the book. I've recommended it to everybody, uh, that I come across that is considering, um, you know, and the hard part is, is men don't read, um, 
I, I didn't go to college. And so my dad always taught me readers are leaders. And when I wanted to be a pastor, but there was, I didn't go to seminary. He says, well, you can read their books. You know, you don't have to go to the school. And so that was what I did. Um, and I tried to instill in my kids that like everything you want to learn, you can learn if you just will sit down and focus for a little bit and read a book. My next book's um, going to be 15,000 so words instead of the 50,000. That was, it's good to be a man for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I, I wrote a book, um, called the disappearing garden and it was about the coping mechanisms we created uh to deal with the fact that we're not in the garden like we're mm. we're misplaced yeah, and we were designed to do something and instead we created all these different coping mechanisms to avoid the fact that we're misplaced right like mm. i'm fine-tuned for that and i always thought it was fascinating when jesus is resurrected the first thing he's mistaken as is a gardener like as soon <laughs> as he's up he's back to doing what he was meant to do uh, but I can't get guys to read the book. Like a lot of girls have read it and they're like, I really enjoyed your book. I was like, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of, I, I, I kind of wanted some guys to read it too. You know? <laughs> um, but if people want to, so, um, let's plug it. Uh, it's good to be a man, Michael Foster. And, and you had a co-author on here as well, right? Non-tenant. Yeah. Yeah. Non and I wrote that together. Yeah. It really is the product of of two friends working together, two very different personalities, different writing styles. So probably with the thing that I always tell people I'm most proud is that was the product of a friendship and, and, and fraternity, two guys trying to do, mm. to do something. And you have other. a podcast. So it's going to be man still on be... iTunes. Um, you can go listen to it there. We are done recording. I, I don't think I'll record another episode. Uh, I do have a new podcast coming out um, called this is foster. That will start um, late December, early January, and that will be uh, over at uh, New Christendom, which is Eric Kahn and Brian Suve's new publishing house. So, okay, great. I'll also be publishing my book. So, y'all check it out. Order the book. Uh, it's available on Canon Press. And, of course, you uh, can download the Canon Press app and yep. have the audio version, which is what I did. And then uh, we bought copies to work through together as our men, and our men really liked it. Um, so thanks again so much for your time and appreciate the conversation. God bless. Yep.